Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard, award-winning broadcaster, narrator, and author of the Jessica Ramirez Thrillers. Brought to you by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and by Ramirez and Clark Publishers. Presenting Terry Shepard's latest Jessica Ramirez adventure, Chasing the Captain. Available in print, digital, and audiobook everywhere. Thanks, Lisa. Our special guest is D.P. Lyle. He has a resume that most of us would only dream of. An Amazon number one best-selling award-winning author with more than 20 books, both fiction and nonfiction. As a consultant and collaborator, he has worked with novelists and with writers of more than a dozen popular TV shows like Law & Order, CSI Miami, Diagnosis Murder, and Monk. He's hosted the Criminal Mischief Podcast on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network since 2018. It's a program that every thriller author I know turns to for expert advice on the alchemy of art and science behind criminal investigations. And he still finds time to see a few patients as a practicing cardiologist. Doug's latest is book five in his superlative Jake Longley series, The O.C., a thriller that best-selling author Lee Goldberg calls a witty and charming crime story that rockets to a blood-chilling climax. Make some popcorn, grab a cold drink, and settle in for a fast, single-sitting read. D.P. Lyle, welcome back to Authors on the Air. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be with you. So how many is this? What is this total for you in terms of books that you've produced i want to say 22 i'm not sure 21 or 22 something like that you've lost track <laughs> yeah it, uh, it, they, they get muddy after a while <laughs> problem is there's remembering them you know people ask oh you remember that i don't remember much about that book you know <laughs> have you ever found that you've gone back and kind of told the same story again no but you know sometimes you'll start writing something and say wait a minute this sounds familiar and you'll you'll realize that you've you know kind of said the same stuff it's kind of like, okay let's find a better way of doing this but yeah but i think we all do that i think all writers get a little repetitive because you have this world and things keep happening in this world and you know it, there's only so many directions you can go you know if if a guy owns, like jake owns a restaurant and bar and is reluctantly drawn into the pi business by his dad and nicole and pancake i mean there's only so many tropes you can use in all of that so yeah, a lot of it does become after so many books and i think that's one of the things that, that makes it difficult to keep a series fresh because you can't really step outside the bounds you've created in other words, you can't change the character you can't change the location you can't change uh the the basic structure of the di the dynamic among the characters because if you do it, then it really gets wobbly and i think people get uncomfortable with that you know, I, people like Michael Connolly, who have written, you know, a iconic character, Harry, for so many years, but he manages to keep it fresh with fresh cases and fresh people coming in and out and all that. But yet through all that, Harry's, you know, more or less the same guy, you know, and, and so you can get into that repetition thing. Michael very, very adeptly avoids that, but it's not easy. Now, I bet he'd tell you the same thing. It's not easy. Do you worry about your readers getting upset if you change them too much? Yeah, I, I think you have to do that because people do get outraged if you uh, change things. And, and, and I actually talked about this, I think, in one of my podcasts about character arcs. If you're doing a one-off, sure. You know, if you're writing a literary novel, which is about character evolution most for the most part, 
then you can change the character dramatically. I mean, main, major things can happen, you know, medically, psychologically, interpersonally, whatever. And, and the character can evolve in dramatic ways. If you start doing that with a series character and you write 10 books, well, people by the 10th book aren't going to recognize the person in the first book. And, and, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. I mean, Jack Reacher is Jack Reacher. All the way from killing Florida now, Jack Reacher's not really that different. He learns a little something and uses a little different skills, but at the end of the day, Jack Reacher's Jack Reacher. You get in his face, he'll kill you. I mean, duh. Do you ever yeah, feel no. uh, compelled to put on new clothes and write something different? Uh, sure. I mean, I, my uh, Kane Harper series is totally different. I mean, it's darker, and it's uh, it's more of a true thriller's. Whereas the Jake books are a little lighter and a little more funny, even though they deal with serious subjects and have serious crime, Jake's take on things is a little off center. And so it, it creates comedic tension in there. And I like that. Kane and Harper, not so much. It's, you know, we'll find you, we'll kill you, we'll do what's necessary. You know, it's a little darker. <laughs> D.P. Lyle is our guest. The book is The O.C. It is uh, an October release, and the early reviews are rave reviews. Everybody seems to love it. What do you think the secret is of Jake Longley's popularity? I think uh, people see a little Jake in themselves, regardless of who they are. Uh, I, uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter, male, female, whatever. Jake, uh, like I said, Jake has his idiot moments and don't we all, you know, and Jake has his doofus moments and don't we all, uh, I'm a very ambitious person and I've always kind of been a grinder, you know, I put on, put on the cleats and the helmet and let's run the ball. You know, I've been that way my whole life. And of course, practicing cardiology requires that. And I've always done that. Jake is totally different than that. But I've had some friends like that, very dear friends for many years, who are so type B that if it wasn't so perfect for them, it would be annoying. You know what I mean? And Jake's that way. He's so type B, he doesn't, he, he just doesn't want to get involved. All he wants to do is hang out, you know, and relax and not worry about tomorrow. But his dad raised totally different, pancakes totally different, even Nicole's totally different. And so they're always pushing him to get on the road and do something. Well, I don't want to do that. And so he's 180 degrees from me, and that's what I like about writing him. Because a lot of me wishes I wish I could be more like that <laughs> and not worry about you know the next day or the next day or the next day. <laughs> what was your house like growing up as a kid? Uh, it, it was. I mean, I had great parents. They were fantastic. Both of my parents were. I have two sisters. They're fantastic, and they both accomplished and did all their stuff. But I, I guess what I miss the most is that, and I think a lot of families miss this nowadays, is every day we had dinner together, you know, and, and the stories are told and, and all that stuff. And I think for a cohesion of a family, you know, not that my sisters and I didn't squabble and, you know, we didn't have disagreements with our parents and, you know, I don't, I want to do that. No, you're not going to do that. You know? uh, but I mean, absolutely nothing major. And when I hear people talk about, you know, the, the, the horrific relationships they have with their family and, you know, I hate my parents, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I never, I never had that in my life, which I guess is fortunate, but, um, um, those family dynamics. And I think sitting at the table for dinner every night growing up was the key. How do you research a stalker? 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of them out there, and uh, and and you know, we see the tip of the iceberg uh, on TV, and you see these stalker cases come up all the time, and it's usually uh, a Hollywood star of some type. You know, some of them obviously, you know, uh, in tragically, and uh, I've known I've known quite a few people that that either in the movie business or or other other people that of some kind of celebrity. Uh, who have picked up stalkers, and in fact, it's a lot more common than people think. Virtually everybody I know, especially women, um, that are in a high-profile situation have had stalkers on some level, and some of them to the point of, I mean, like kicking the door down and coming in the house. I mean, it's uh, and it's scary stuff because if you're not safe in your house, where are you safe? If you can't walk down the street and go to work and can't, you know, go to a restaurant with a friend and not have somebody peering over your shoulder, wow. And then when that, most of the time, that stalker is known to the person, at least on some level. Uh, they've interacted somewhere or at least the guy has done something that brought him to the attention. So now everybody knows that, you know, this guy's crazy and they get restraining orders and all this stuff. But what if you have no idea who's doing it? And that is the magic of the OC, is this guy is in the shadows. He discovers his tracks. And, and no past relationship. How does this happen? You know, But it happened. If you remember, uh, Hinckley shot Reagan because he wanted to get Jodie Foster's attention. Well, that's a form of stalking right there. I mean, he was stalking Jodie. He just happened to pop the president along the way. I mean, my goodness. Where does this mental, mental box come from? What, what room do you go into in your brain? to figure all this out and make this happen. I mean, it's fascinating psychological stuff, not only from the victim, but from the stalker's point of view. I mean, remember, the bad guys are the hero of their own story. How much dramatic license do you allow yourself when you're telling a story? Uh, that's a difficult one. Uh, I know our friend Lee Goldberg, he always says, if you give me the choice between good story and good science, I'll take good story every time. Um I I feel a little compelled to be a little more realistic because of my background and who I am and quote authoritative whatever you know whatever that is and so I kind of don't want to play too fast and loose but by the same token it's storytelling and especially with the Jake stories because you can have things that don't make sense and you can have things that are serendipitous and you can have things that are almost non sequiturs because well it's a comedic story with the dark undertones as opposed to Kane Harper and the Dub Walker and the Samantha series and those things they were more hard uh, hardcore thriller so I think you have to toe the line you can't just make everything up you can make a lot of stuff up but you can't make everything it's got to at least make sense the dp lyle is our guest dp lyle is the website the oc is the book you balance humor in the midst of all of this terror how do you find that magical balance between the funny stuff and the serious stuff uh yeah i've always found humor in everything you know i my my, my dad could tell a good joke and my mom was you know, just above the level where they lock you up. Uh, I mean, she was wild. She never had, every day was a party, you know, and every situation was a party. She could fix any problem, make anything happen, but she did it just with chaos and fun, you know. And so I kind of learned all that. I think Robin Williams said the same thing about his mother. He learned from Jonathan Winters and his mother all the comedy he ever needed to know. And I think, and then growing up in the South, there's a lot of humor. But also, then you get into the medical world, which is a lot like the cop world. There's a lot of black humor, you know, dark humor. But everything is funny.
even tragedies, there's a funny element to it. And so um, I always kind of think that way. I see things as funny. And so I just remember when I started this series, I said, I want to write something more comedic. You know, I feel that and I want to do that. And why not just try it and see what happens? It may not work, but, you know, maybe you're not funny. Maybe it's maybe it won't work. Maybe this character you have in mind is, is an idiot and nobody will like him. But you don't know till you get there. So just walk down the road and see what happens. Well, a part of the magic, I think, of your books, too, are you have wonderful secondary characters. I mean, Ray and Pancake are equally yeah. as fascinating and could be stars of their own series. Yeah, you know, I love secondary characters. And I love what they call throwaway characters that are only in there just one scene. They say, well, you know, don't give them names. No, 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 I don't believe it. You know, if it's just a character that's going to appear one time and only for a minute, you know, they don't need a name. They need, they need more than a name, I think. But you don't have to get laborious about it. But give them a name because names mean a lot. And then give one or two things about them that makes them come to life so that they're not just the cashier at the 7-Eleven. They're really a person. They're really a person, and they really have a personality. Now, they're not important to the story except that they're doing something that's important to the story. But at least give them a little bit of livelihood, that moment that people say, I see this person. I know who this person is. I've been in a 7-Eleven, and I know that guy. And and that's kind of that, that's kind of what uh, I, I like writing those characters. You also have a lot more freedom because you know they're going to evaporate. And they'll never be seen again. So you can make them quirky or you can make them goofy or you can make them start. You can make them whatever you want for that brief moment, whatever fits the story and the relationship and the dynamic at that moment in time. Because you're not going to have to deal with this later. Whereas with a main character, if you do something really goofy, yeah, guess what? You're married to it for the whole series. You can't go change that stuff. (laughs) Wilford Brimley became a star with a five-minute scene in Absence of Malice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's how it can happen. That's exactly yeah. how it can happen. And I love to go. You go. You go watch old Twilight Zone episodes, and it's amazing how many big name movie stars you know are in there, and you, nobody knew who they were at the time. And but it's like, oh, who is that person? You know. And the next thing you know, they climb the food chain, and you know, I mean, Robert Redford was a mailman in one of them. I remember. <laughs> and you know, he did okay. Yeah, I still love watching Burke's Law for that reason. Yes. Because it it used to be the place like a vacation for these big movie stars. They were all there. They had these walk-on parts. But in in places like Twilight Zone, The Untouchables, you got a chance to see these people at the very dawn of their careers. And it's interesting. You can almost sense the magic that's going to make them great. Is that right. is that how you felt when you when when Jake first came to you and you wrote, wrote that first yeah. book? Did you feel like it was going to go somewhere? I, I once I finished that I thought, yeah, you know, I like this guy. And I think people are going to like this guy. And I think I got the right balance. I mean, you never know cuz you know you, you do this in a dark room by yourself, you know. <laughs> and I, I think people are going to like him and I think they're going to enjoy this story, but we'll see. You know, let's fly. We're going to run for us. Let's see what happens. You know, that's about all you can do. But you talk about characters. I think one of the greatest greatest characters uh was Strother Martin. One of the greatest character actors ever was Strother Martin. But people forget if you go back and watch The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, he was Liberty sidekick, <laughs> Liberty, Liberty, he called it, and and he was phenomenal. He stood out in all the scenes he was in. It's like, who is this guy? 
Most people didn't really know who he was. And then, of course, Cool Hand Luke came along and it was made him an icon. You know, what we have here is failure to communicate. I mean, you know, you got to love this guy. <laughs> Which Cassidy, the Sundance kid, you know, yep, yep, everything. Yep. I love those characters and yes. those actors that can Warren Oates, that life. you know, did that. Warren Oates, right? Kept, exactly. They, they kept popping up and it's like, yeah, I know that guy. Who's he going to be now? You know, because there's something about their face and their mannerisms and their body language and their aura th- th- that attracts you to them. So I think you can do that with minor characters when you're writing a story. You know, think of Strother Martin. I think if you watch No Country for Old Men, all the minor characters that interface through that story, you know, the, the shop clerks, the service station attendants, the things that they ran into, every one of those characters was phenomenal. It was so well done. They they got they got local people, and basically that's what they did, and they just incorporated them into the film. Um, but you could feel that these people were real; they weren't just throwaway characters. Yeah, you get you get a Robert Duvall who starts out oh. many many roles secondary, who just oh, is so absolutely. powerful that absolutely. he moves to the front of the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Clint Eastwood started as a, as a second, also man. Secondary. Rowdy Yates. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he did all right. Our, our guest is DP Lyle. DP Lyle MD is dot com is his website. The OC is the new one. Another great Jake Longley book. When you are still seeing patients, do people sometimes recognize you as an author? Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of my patients will bring books in for me to sign and stuff like that because they know. Um, they, I think they enjoy it. You know, I, I think it's a little different. I guess most of their doctors don't do that, you know, but, uh, but yeah, but they enjoy it and they're kind of impressed or whatever, but they, they find it funny. Uh, I've never found anybody to say, you know, why are you wasting your time doing that? I tell myself that, you know, they don't have to tell me. <laughs> do you find that they pay more attention to your advice as a cardiologist because they respect you as an author? They might, they might. Um, it's one of know, the odd things about humanity, isn't it? it just works it that is, way. It is. But I'm I, what I do is when I'm talking to patients. I first of all I sit down. I always sit down, get on their level, and and talk turkey. But I use sarcasm and humor because people remember that. They don't remember if you give them a didactic reason for why they have to do this. But if you in, in, incorporate a little humor or a little sarcasm into it they will remember one of the things i do somebody said well i decided uh, that blood pressure medicine wasn't very good and i thought maybe i'd just lose some weight and i wouldn't need the medicine so i stopped the medicine you know three months ago and all that kind of stuff and i'll turn their chart over and on the back i'll write one eight seven six and i'll hold it up and i said what does that say and they say 1876 i said Something very important happened in 1876. What is it? I don't know. The telephone was invented. Use it. Don't play doctor. Call and ask questions. D.P. Lyle, if you could distill the essence of a great thriller into Mm. a paragraph, what would that be? Uh, Life in a trash compound. you got to cut off options. You've got to cut off escape routes. You've got to cut off solutions, one after another, after another, after another. I think the classic example is Alien, where at the end of the day, I mean, it's basically a haunted house story. 
But at the end of the day, Ripley, everybody's been killed, even the robot. There's nobody left around, and she's managed to get to the escape capsule to get away. Uh, not so fast. <laughs> and so she literally has, her world has been compressed to this small little spacecraft that's going to get her back to Earth. Um, another example is the Terminator, where literally... She ended up in a trash in a smashing machine, remember, with the Terminator after her. Her world collapsed, and Sarah Connor had to figure out a way to defeat this undefeatable machine. But her options got less and less and less and less, and literally ended up in a trash compactor. You know, so I, I think that I think that would be it. You know, uh, always think about that when you're writing a thriller. Let's cut off this limb. Let's cut off this limb. Let's get keep 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 keep, and pretty soon you got the person treed with no limbs to climb back down. You know, and now what are they going to do? And the newest Jake Longley thriller is The O.C. It's about to come out. I've had a little taste of it, and it is everything you would ever hope for from our guest D.P. Lyle. Doug, thanks so much for Thank being you. with us on Authors on the Air today. It's always a pleasure to be with always you. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Terry. Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Check out Chasing the Captain, the newest Jessica Ramirez thriller from Terry Shepard, available in print, digital, and audiobook. I'm Lisa Davis. Join Terry in the next chapter for Authors on the Air.